When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another collaboration of, between the 104.6 and 1 podcast and the Home Field podcast. Today, we are introducing one of my best friends, one of my good, my, my boys. Y'all might know him as that 239, that dude. Welcome to the show, Fred Thomas. Man, what's going on, brother? What's up, Kel? What's up, Kyle? What's going Honored on, Fred? On the show, man. Honored to be on y'all show. I listen to y'all every week. Love the content, man. So thank you. No, appreciate Absolutely. that. We appreciate having you, having you on. Well, I'm going I'm to just be blunt. Obviously, last night we do know the result of Super Bowl 55 did not go the way I had predicted, obviously. So shout out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for winning the Super Bowl. Uh, Tom Brady gets his seventh championship. The city of Tampa gets to enjoy, I don't know, what, seven, 17, 18 years of, of a drought is now over finally. What, 2002, 2003? I forget which one. Yep. 2003. Yeah. So, 18-year drought finally comes to an end. The GOAT adds another ring to his legacy. Uh, I mean, obviously, I got to eat my words. The Chiefs did not come up to play, and Tom Brady shows his dominance once again, and the legend continues. So, as we all know, the co-host of the show got to witness this firsthand at the Super Bowl yesterday. So, Kyle, I'm going right to you, my boy. What did you think yesterday, bro? How was that experience? Tell us. It was amazing yesterday. I, listen, it's a once in a life it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to one of these games, and it was a hundred percent worth it from beginning to end. Just, just the setup that they had around the stadium, just the amount of resources that they just invested into that whole setup, even before the game, was just wild. I mean, just. They had concerts, they had vendors everywhere. I mean, and obviously everything with COVID was spaced out, but they were still able to make it work. And then going into the actual game, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I'm not a Bucks fan. I'm wearing this jersey just because I got to support my guy. But I have never been th- this nervous for a game in my entire life. Dude, I was shaking just because how nervous I was. If I w- if this had been a Patriot game for, for the Super Bowl, dude, I might have had a heart attack yesterday. It was that <laughs> nuts of a game. So, I mean, we were kind of thinking about it, though. Like, you know, as the game's going on, obviously the nerves start to go away a little bit after, you know, there's some points scored. Really, like, I thought the game really started going in the favor with the Bucks, really in that second quarter or at the beginning at the end of the first quarter going into the second quarter when they were able to hit up on Gronkowski for two touchdowns. And it really, I thought blew the game wide open, but really like to me where the game really started to blow wide open was at the end of the second quarter when the bus get the ball back with about, I think like a minute left in the second quarter. And to me, I didn't think that 
the Bucs were actually going to go and try to get a touchdown. If they maybe got into decent field goal range, they'd probably just settle for three points, try to get it to 17-3 at half. Obviously, that Mike Evans pass interference call changed the entire complexity of the drive there. And then they were able to get a nice little check down to Leonard Fournette. And then they were able to get to the, I believe, the one-yard line where they were able to hit up Antonio Brown for that one-yard touchdown. And when it was 20, it was to what, 21 to, 21 to six at halftime. And I'll tell you what, though, I felt good about where the Bucks were at halftime, but I was still pretty scared because just because it's Patrick Mahomes. Up until that point, hadn't really been having the best game. And you never know what he could bring in the second half. And it just, it didn't work out for him. He was getting pressured all night. I, I mean, he was running for his life last night. I, Mahomes is one of the be- one of the best quarterbacks that I've seen for the last couple of years, and this is honestly the first time where I've seen him completely flustered, completely. I don't want to say overshadowed by the moment. It's just that that pass rush that Tampa brought last night was unbelievable, and it was consistent really in the second half because there were points of time in the game where he's stepping in the pocket, he's just stepping in the pocket ready to pass, and he's already feeling the pressure coming off the edges, whether it was JPP or Shaq Barrett. And you could tell, like, he was starting to tense up because he knew it was coming. And they just couldn't really do anything with that pass rush. And I know the Chiefs have been dealing with some offensive line issues the last couple weeks, and especially after Eric Fisher blew out his Achilles in the AFC Championship game, and it really showed. I mean, in the second half, I mean, the Chiefs just couldn't get anything going. They couldn't even get a touchdown. That was the one part that really surprised me was this high prolific offense, this offense that is usually known to score probably 30 points a game consistently was held to nine points. It's the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era that they've been held to a single digit point performance offensively. It's, it's never been done. I thought I would never have seen it. And it happened in the just the most inopportune time if you're a Chiefs fan, just because it's the biggest stage you're going up against, the greatest of all time with his new team and all the players that are around him. And it just, it, for the Chiefs, it was just the worst time to have that performance. But you got to give a lot of credit to Tom Brady and the offensive staff for really having the performance that they had, but really the standout performance to me was that defense by the Bucs. I don't know what it is with Bucks and the Super Bowl, but apparently their defense loves to just show out in these big Super Bowl games just because they were able to do it against the Raiders in 03. And then they go up against they go up against a better offense, a more prolific offense, and they shut them out to they essentially hold them to nine points. I mean, you're basically pitching a shutout compared to what that Chiefs offense is typically used to putting up. It's just, I can go on and on about it, but really just to kind of like, to just wrap up the the game itself, it's Brady, man. This team was 7-9 and nine last year with Jameis Winston at the helm. And then one year later, you insert Brady into the, into the starting lineup. And he takes this team, which was – actually pretty good as far as the players go last year. They just, they didn't have the leader to take them to this point. Now they've figured out a way to win. 
and they were able to do it in Brady's first year, which is just, I don't even know what to say. I've never seen anything like this before where you have a guy go to a brand new team and in the first year wins a Super Bowl. It's just, I'll leave it to you guys. I I don't don't have anything left to say about the game. If you guys want to ask about the experience, go, go right ahead. But I want to get you, I want to get your thoughts here. You guys. Yeah. So I have a question. So being that you're at Super Bowl and you walk in, um, I believe Tampa has the spiral when you're going in to period, depending on where you were sitting at, what was that like initial emotion that like just rushed upon you, like came upon you when you were walking in the gate and you was like, oh my gosh, just like Raymond James Stadium, this is the Super Bowl. What was your initial like emotion? I was hyped. I was I was excited, but I was nervous at the same time. It it was weird because when I'm walking up the stair when I'm walking up the uh the stairwell to go to the seats, we we were up in section three eighteen. So that's in the uh I believe it's in the southwestern corner of the stadium. And we sit down, we get our seats, got food, you know, we're just we're just sitting, we're just basically just waiting for the game to start. And I wanna say about thirty minutes before kickoff, those nerves started hitting. And honestly, it didn't start settling down until maybe the beginning of the third quarter. I mean, it was it was consistently I was consistently nervous for probably two and a half quarters. Just and that was through the halftime show. That the halftime show was a little bit of a break, but I was I was nervous. And then pretty much once once the Bucks got a comfortable lead, I was pretty content. Like the nerves had gone away. But I'm going to tell you right now, everybody in my section, and everybody can pretty much do a test of it. When they were up about 28 to 9 or like 31 to 9, we all started looking at that clock. And we were just thinking, just clock, just keep going. Just don't stop. Because you never know a Patrick Mahomes. That dude can light up a defense so quickly. I mean, he did it against the 49ers last year. And that was the one thing that my brother and I, we kept saying was like, it's not over. Like, it may not look like that right now, but it's like the Chiefs can put up points better than anybody else. And we were just saying, just let that clock keep going. And then pretty much like, when, when it got to, I want to say maybe about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, we were like, it's over. It's done. It's like they, they, they don't have enough time left. And it just, when it got to that point, it was, that's when you started feeling like the euphoria of winning the Super Bowl. That's when it really set in for me. Nice. That's what's up, man. I mean, that has been, like you said, a once in a lifetime experience. That that would have been amazing to go to. That's what's up, man. It, it's, it, and I'll tell you this, because one of the things that we were trying to figure out last night, so we're sitting down in our seats, and my brother and I were, were, were talking about this. We were trying to figure out, like, what's the split between Bucks fans and Chiefs fans? And we were probably thinking, okay, it's going to be, you know, we were, we were being a little bit um, conservative at first. We were thinking like maybe like 60-40, maybe 65-35 at first. Because there were actually a decent amount of Chief uh, fans that showed up to the game. When the game mm-hmm. started going and when the Bucks really started getting on, you know, when they were really starting to distance their lead, it was like 80-20, 90-10 Bucks fans, Chief fans. It was, it was a Bucks home game. That's what it honestly felt like yeah. just because yeah. we, we had a straight shot 
down the whole upper deck of the stadium on the side that we were on. When it was third down for the, for the Chiefs and the Bucks had to get a stop, I want to say 85% of that upper deck was on their feet and they were going nuts. When we scored, when the Bucks scored, same thing. It's just, I mean, it honestly got to a point where it was probably 90-10 Bucks fans and Chief fans. It was just those Bucks fans, they, they showed up. And typically, if you look over the last couple of years, it's not like that with the Bucks fans. Like, you'll have the opposing team's fan base show up in huge numbers. And if it starts going in the opposing team's favor, man, it'll be like Bucks fans are, like, non-existent in their own stadium. It was completely not that way last night. It was pretty much Bucks fans just dominating the stands last night. And and I'll tell you this. I was just glad for Tampa, man. Look, I've been a New England Patriot fan since I, I was a little kid. You know, I've experienced of I've had the experience of seeing the Patriots go to the Super Bowl nine times with Brady already. Like I know for me, I'm content. There's what what comes left from this, whatever Brady has left in his career, it's just extra credit at this point. I, I'm good. Like it it doesn't do anything for me in the long run. Obviously, last night just the moment it was amazing, but for Bucks fans and really Tampa to experience what not only the Boston area, but the entire new England area has been so accustomed to for the last 20 years. I'm just so happy that Tampa can experience the feeling that we had for those two decades. Plus it's just, it's a great feeling. You just, you live in the moment and it's just, you just soak in it. You just soak in the moment, man. Like I'm just so happy for Tampa. I can't say that. I can't say that enough. Yeah. Being a long-time Bucks fan, man, it feels damn, damn good. I damn good to have a Super Bowl. Like, I could, I witnessed, this is my second, you know, Tampa Bay Super Bowl I witnessed. But this one means so much because I have a kid now. <laughs> my son is four, so, you know, watch the Super Bowl with him in our home stadium, make history, make this Super Bowl that much special. And middle of a pandemic as well you know we didn't have that much time to do OTAs jail as a team so our whole season was pretty much like OTAs trying to jail trying to mesh and if you the hiccups and stuff that Tampa had like you know with the offense struggling they have like good runs then they are sputter sputter same thing with the defense at the beginning of the season our defense looked promising then we had a stretch where, man, we was getting lit up in the secondary. But when we had that off week, that by week, week 13, let everybody get rest, everybody got healthy, you know. I don't know what happened with Bruce Aarons and, um, you know, Tom Brady. If they had to come to Jesus or whatever it is. <laughs> but after that by week, the offense <laughs> – the offense just it just leaped forward. It just leaped forward. And then that defense, I guess um Carlton Davis, I guess he got tired of people like just talking. Cause you know, Carlton feels like he's a real shutdown corner. And you can't say that if you get your ass hit up for almost two hundred yards <laughs> in the first half. You can't really say that. So That's I'm great. guessing since that Carlton Davis was completely different. Completely different as a corner. I don't know if it was his approach. 
I don't know if he just fatigued. I don't know was technique. I don't know if you watch more film. But whatever he did after that, <laughs> after he got smacked up by Tyreek Hill, I don't know what happened. His girlfriend said she's going to leave him. I don't know. Whatever it was, it worked. <laughs> it definitely worked for him. So, um, yeah, man, it was – I was happy. I was happy. Kevin, the floor is yours, man. I mean, well, I mean, I just want to give a quick shout-out to, obviously, you know, Fred, uh, Dawson, uh, Ryan, Barnett, and, you know, like Garrett and Brooke and all those boys, you know, like those lifelong loyal Bucks fans that stood with it all these years telling me, you know, it's coming, it's coming. So, I mean, I got like I said, I got to eat my words. I predicted the opposite. But the only thing I really got to say is, man, we just – we live in history right now. Like, we are witnessing something that – I don't know if anybody could have ever imagined has happened. We've witnessed a man go to the Super Bowl 10 times and win seven of them. Like, he did it with two franchises, partnering with Peyton Manning as the only two quarterbacks to ever do it. But the way that Tom did it in the fashion that he did, being a wild card team, you know, going on the road and beating three straight teams to then be the home team in the soup. I mean, like, it's it's like a fairy tale. You know what I'm saying? Like, for Bucks fans all over the world, Bucks fans, especially in Tampa, like, I can't even imagine what that feeling is. Like, winning a championship as a, as a, as a fan is, is incredible. You know, witnessing your team win is amazing. But to be the home team, like, that's got to hit on a whole different level. So, I mean, like, again, shout out to the city of Tampa. Shout out to those that are have been supporting – these boys all these years but overall the game as a whole it was uh to change the tune a little bit it was a, a bit of a disappointment not because the Bucks won but because the game itself it wasn't an entertaining game you really thought this was gonna be a, a blow for blow goat for kid goat for kid you know what I'm saying Tom and Pat go back and forth and you know like I had made the prediction last week that if the pass rush were to get to Patrick it was gonna be a nightmare granted it happened but I didn't think it would have been as bad as it was last night. You know what I mean? I really thought Andy would have had a better scheme, like I had said multiple times. But there was a sports or a stat fact or something like that. Patrick Mahomes scrambled for over 490 yards last night just trying to elude pass rush. He was, he was what, pressured or rushed 29 times out of, like, 50 dropbacks. Absolutely mm-hmm. Over 50%? You're telling me this man had no time to throw basically the entire game. Just, to, to, to me, there's just one word for that, and that's just dominance. Just pure, unadulterated. Like, Tampa just came out there and said, yo, I'm punching you in the face, and you're not getting up. There's a reason for that, though. And, and we noticed it. Like we, like, we could see it, like, in real time. Because the one thing that I noticed specifically about the Bucks' defensive strategy right off the get-go, they had two safeties back the entire time. They played two men, and they never got into a situation where they played one safety at the top. They never played single high safety. That, to me, was big because here's the thing when you have those two two safeties instead of one. It means Tampa's saying to, to, to KC, we will let everything go underneath. You are not beating us deep. You are not getting us, and you are not torching us like you did earlier in the season with Tyreek Hill doing what he did. So that was the that was the first thing. If if Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey want to do these five to ten reception plays instead of the fifty yard ones, 
I think Tampa lived with that. They even lived with Patrick Mahomes running out of the pocket and scrambling to get first downs instead of him doing his doing his shtick by running out of the pocket, throwing it to Tyreek Hill 50 yards down the field and getting a huge play out of it. So they were basically forcing KC to basically throw the ball underneath and make of it what they could. And the one thing that KC did not adjust to was they didn't run the ball. When, when you're in a situation like that, you, if, you're, if you're trying to get Tampa out of that, that two-safety look to, stop, to get them to stop playing so far back, you got to run the ball. Because at some point, if you start running the ball effectively enough, it'll pull up one of the safeties because now they actually have to account for the run. And then that's when the Chiefs could really hit on some large, on some really big chunk plays because if they pull the, the one safety down, the, the safeties have to account for the, the threat of the run. And it never happened last night. So that was really what I thought was an adjustment flaw that KC didn't implement in the second half. They started it, They started with it in the first drive in the third quarter. But they, after the, the first drive that they had in the second half, they basically just relied on Patrick Mahomes to make all the plays. Defensively, though, for the Bucs, I don't think they could have played this any better. They got pass rushed. They didn't get beat deep. They barely had any – they had barely any pass interference calls or holding penalties. I mean, they were really sound defensively last night. So you have to give a boatload of credit to Todd Bowles. And to be honest with you, Kevin and I, we, we were talking about this on Twitter today. The Bucks defense could have arguably just pitched the best defensive performance in Super Bowl history. I think one that probably – recently could come up as the Patriots, what they did to the Rams a couple years ago, but it's Jared Goff against the Patriots defense. It was the Bucks defense going up against Patrick Mahomes. Just, you could make a very valid case that what the Bucks did in the Super Bowl defensively was one of the best performances ever. So I know, I know Brady got the MVP for Super Bowl last night, but I'll tell you what, Todd Bowles definitely deserves at least a half of that MVP trophy as far as I'm concerned. With, without I, any shred of a doubt. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, the unsung hero of last night was Todd Bowles, you know. Yeah. And not to overshadow how great JPP and Shaq Barrett was, but Sue and Vita Vey don't get a lot of credit because yeah. that interior push is what, what you know, helped Tampa Bay out. If I can get pressure with my front four and I have a low in V to A, then I have to sue, you have to worry about, they're pushing that, pushing those back, making, you know, was making Mahomes drop back deeper, trying to roll out to beat Shaq Barry and JPP, you know, to the sideline and getting outside the pocket. So Sue and um, V to A deserves a lot, a lot of credit. Not to take, you know, like I said, away the greatness between Barry and JPP, but they definitely deserve, you know, a lot of credit. And I think that Kansas City, and this is just my opinion, I'm no professional, I think they were a little over too confident in their offense, being that, okay, week four, was it 12, 12. or whatever the week, week 12, was? Yeah. Week 12. Week 12, we smacked Tampa. Like, the defense in the first half had no answer. And then they made adjustments in the second half. So just my opinion, I'm thinking, you know, Kansas City going in, well, like, this is what worked, and we'll be able to do this because they have no answer for 
Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. And literally, Tampa looked like a whole new defense last night. Like, they legit took whatever we was running all year and put it in a whole new defensive scheme for this. If I'm not mistaken, I think they ran the 4-2-5 last night. I, I think it was four linemen, two linebackers, and five DBs. And if you look at the defense, like if you look at the breakdown of the defense, it was four people covering two. We had two over top, two underneath. Yep. And yep. everything you get in the middle, we can live with that. We have to tap. And we didn't let Tyreek Hill get a lot of yak yards either last night. You know, on those little quick catches, they were they was coming up, you know, sticking them. They was coming up sticking them. So that was, um, you know, a great adjustment. And I think another thing that put in Tampa Bay's favor was, I may be wrong, Vita Bay, I know for sure Vita Bay didn't play the first time we met. And I believe, I want to say Devin White was out. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was out as well. And taking Devin White sure. out and taking Devin White out of Vita Bay is two blows. Because Devin Day is just, I mean, I'm sorry, Devin White is just as fast as any tight end. You know, he could run with some running back. So you could match him up, you know, with Kelsey or um, Levante David. You could match either one of those up with Kelsey because they can run with him. And they did a great job in coverage last night because Kelsey did not get a loose like he normally do last night. Well, Kelsey did have over 140 yards receiving last night. Granted, gar- a lot of, uh, granted, let me finish, Couch, your damn judgmental face. It was in garbage time, but I'm just saying the man was open in the middle of the field a lot of the evening. Now, again, I'm going to try to rein it back. Like, I, I get it. The Bucks was dominant. I, I genuinely do. I just have question marks for Kansas City. I was telling Fred earlier this morning when we were texting, I pretty much predicted the Super Bowl, what would happen if the Chiefs wouldn't have won. I said pass rush was key. Pat wouldn't have had a good night. The Bucks had to run the football. The Bucks ran it p- perfectly. I said Edward Solaire would end up having some good combined total scrimmage yards. They went away from him. He was averaging 7.5 yards per carry. He had 64 yards on nine touches and over 35 yards receiving. You run Edward Solaire, that safety comes down. 100%. Yeah. He was getting... Big plays in the second quarter. And I mean, big, big plays. In the third quarter, he had a big play. Once again, he had like a 10, 15-yard run. I thought, okay, Pat, Andy Reid are going to dial up that run game because they playing too far back. I also said that they were going to either do one of two things, and by they, I mean Tampa's defense. They were going to run that two-deep safety where they had no Tyreek Hill running past them, or they were going to try to lock down the middle of the field to make sure that Kelsey doesn't beat them. And what happened? Tyreek Hill had an absolute dog shit of a night compared to what he normally has because he couldn't get open. Travis Kelsey had a shit ton of yards down the middle of the field because they said, you know what, beat us, you're not going to score. But Kansas City shot themselves in the foot because they definitely had stupid penalties, two turnovers, and they had six drops. Let me know the last time you saw Travis Kelsey drop a pass directly in his face. That third down one, right? Yeah. I, I Listen. I'm, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound absolutely stupid. Probably not, but I've never seen someone throw a football more accurate than Patrick Mahomes when he was completely <laughs> parallel to the ground, side-armed. He hit Travis in the face with a perfectly spiraled football. This man, Pat Mahomes, needs to be looked at for, for HGH. So, who does? How do you reach the ball 20-something yards down the field perfectly 
while like your body is like hovering over the floor. Like I just I gotta give it a pat. Running for his life. He did everything he needed to do with like minus one big toe because you started to see it, you know, get into effect after the third quarter. He was actually starting to limp a little bit. But I mean, the Chiefs as a whole just did not come to play. They had over 12 penalties in the game. Some of them questionable. I texted you, Kyle. I, I know you were at the game. Some of them were questionable. The Mike Evans pass interference. Rashad uh, Breeland fell. Like he legitimately yeah. fell without, t- and he clipped the foot by accident because he just gravity fucking falling. What are you supposed to do? And then the hold in the end zone with Mike Evans, that ball's that, 15 yards above his head. That's uncatchable. That's that, ridiculous. That's, that's the one where even I was, we, we were sitting right. That was the stadium that we were, that, that was the, not the stadium, that was the end zone side of where we were sitting. And we, my brother and I looked at each other. It was like, that's not a that's not an offensive pass interference. That's not a defensive pass interference because that ball was well over Mike Evans' head, but they threw the flag. Hey, now, hey, I will, hey, I will, I will so say in, in the beginning of the half, in the beginning, the first half, I felt penalties were definitely one sided. One hundred to me, it felt that way. But let me finish the second. It didn't matter because the Chiefs yeah. just they they were their worst enemy. Stupid nonchalant penalties and then drop passes. So yeah. I mean, it didn't matter. <laughs> Ahead, One thing with the penalties, um, you know, I watch a lot of, you know, sports shows. And this morning, I don't know if you guys watch Undisputed, but this morning on Undisputed, Shannon Sharp and Bates was looking at some of the, you know, penalties that, you know, some people automatically say the refs, the refs. But then when they broke them down, it was only two penalties where they were really like, hey, you could have let that go. And that, yeah. you know, defensive pass interference on Mike Evans was one. And um, uh, what was – I think the other one was the Honey Badgers interception. I think that uh, that one they said was a little questionable. Oh, the whole – But everything else was – yeah, everything else was on point. Like, the offsides. Hard, Harden yeah. and the other dude was literally lined up in the neutral zone. Yeah. Offsides. You know, y'all made the dumb penalties – and the people are going to blame the refs, but they're calling what they see. You know, hundred percent. They're calling what they see. And so, what you what you said earlier, Kev, about getting Patrick Mahomes tested, I agree. I think he's a mutant. Um, just because he, I think he was falling, and when he launched the ball down field to Tyree Hill and hit him in the face, that was an amazing throw because I think he was under, like he was running for his life, and yep. he just. Down the field, perfect, like, right there. That's accuracy. So, yeah, he's definitely a mutant. Like, he could manipulate the ball, do something like that. It's something crazy what he does. But, whew, that boy's bad. That's a bad boy. But I'll tell you this. No quarterback would have beaten that Bucks defense last night. No. Nobody. 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 I don't care if you give me Tom Brady from his best year, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino. Nobody is beating – that Bucks defense last night because they were just so dominant, especially in that second half. Because I really thought the Chiefs were going to make some sort of comeback in that second half. And granted, the, the Chiefs did have some drives. Like, they got into the red zone a few times last night. So Tampa's defense definitely bent on those red zone drives, but they didn't break. And that was the one thing that really surprised me was the fact that they had those red zone drives and they couldn't get they couldn't cash in on any of them for a touchdown. That was the part that really shocked me because it's Patrick Mahomes. Like, 
this team is just known for its offense to put up points and to put them up quickly. And to see Tampa's defense actually hold in the moments where they needed to the most, you've got to give a lot of credit and a lot of respect to that defense too. I mean, I can name off all the names that just had dominant performances. Obviously, I'm going to start with Devin White. Devin White had a monster of a game last night. Levante David had a solid game. I'm going to tell you right now, that duo of linebackers with Devin White and Levante David is nasty. It's nasty. And then you pair that with the front four that they had with JPP, Ndamukong Sue, and Vita Vea going at Patrick Mahomes' head all night. Man, when you got when you have that that front four going after you all night, you're gonna be sweating bullets. And there's no and trust me, Mahomes is probably feeling a little sore after what he had to deal with last night from that that oh yeah for sure that defensive line. And then the secondary, man, that's the best performance I've seen against that Chiefs team by far. Yeah. They had yeah they had great, great I, Tra- Travis Kelsey had those 140, 150 yards, but they were all garbage time receptions and yards that they didn't really mean that much anyway they the last time they went up against Tyreek Hill he had 200 plus receiving yards in the first quarter I don't think he had one catch in one yard in that first quarter last night so the fact that they were able to hold down the best one-two punch and as far as the skill position goes in the league with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill man you gotta you gotta clap it up for that Bucks secondary because they played phenomenal football. And all those guys are really young. Carlton Davis, um, you got Whitehead, you got uh, Winfield Jr. Those guys are all in like their mid-20s. And those guys are going up against arguably the one of the best young quarterbacks we've ever seen. And I don't think Patrick Mahomes hit 100 yards passing until the end of the third quarter. Yep. It's just unbelievable from what that secondary did just you really got to give kudos to that secondary because they they balled out last night yeah so my thing is I, I got a i got a question for fred yo you've played the game you study the game you love the game mm-hmm. what what happened to andy reed and what's that offensive coordinator that everybody's so high on i always forget his name eric, eric Bien-Ami. eric Bien-Ami, has dialed up some beautiful, beautiful play sequences and calls throughout the integrity of his tenure in Kansas City. It almost looked like in the second half they had no adjustments. They know that the left side of the offensive line was weak. I didn't see them add another lineman. I didn't see them add some tight ends. I didn't even really see Edwards Alaire chipping the left side. I just thought, like Kyle said, they just relied solely on Pat Mahomes. And I said last week, if he's got to throw it 40 to 50 times and he's running for his life, he's not going to survive. Do you think, like you said, do you think it was an over-arrogance thing? Like, we're going to be able to come back because we have 15? Or did they really think that they could beat them with the offense that they were running? Um, I think it goes a little both ways. Like, you know, they had that confidence. Like, you know, our offense could score with anybody. We got the best scoring offense in the league. Been like that for the last two or three years. So that overconfidence probably had, you know, a big role to play in it. But I think it was either you or Kyle who said earlier where they got rid of the rank game. They really strictly turned one dimension, which they do a lot because I think Pat Mahomes throwing 
39 times a game. So they legit was riding his arm all night. But if you have something going, why make it easier for the defense? And that's what they did last night. They literally made it easy for Temple because they let Temple pin their ears back and rush with four. Not countering with, you know, play action, not running the ball. If this man getting seven yards, if he gets seven yards, I'm going to give it to him 27 times a game until you stop it. Some, something has to break. And they legit was like, ooh, he got stuffed two times. Okay, let's throw it 15 times before we do, you know, another run attack. And even like what you said on the left side, I think one big thing about Travis Kelsey game is he's not a good blocker tight end. And I'm not sure if Kansas have any real legit good blocking tight ends that you could drop down and help chip, you know, help the quarterback out on the weak side of the line, depending on whichever side is needed. And that was a big difference too, because they so they so comfortable with Kelsey's as another receiver, he's not that blocking. So yeah, chipping. With the tight end for um, Kansas City, I don't think that's too much in their game plan. They probably rely on, you know, the rookie. But, yeah, I don't. I just don't think the adjustments, the necessary adjustments is way overconfidence. They were probably thinking, hey, last year, I think Pat Mahomes and the offense spotted, was it Tennessee and Houston, I think, 24, like 52 points when they had jumped out. And then, you know, Kansas came out and blew them out. I'm thinking that's always in their mind. We got Pat Mahomes. We can come back. The trick plays and all the crazy motion and all that, they got away from it last night. They really, really went one dimension. Okay, well, I want I want to piggyback off of one of Fred's points that he made about really Casey's offense and their the the reliability of Patrick Mahomes and how it all it, it, it cost them in this game. The one thing that I noticed schematically that is flawed in Eric Bieniemy's offensive um, scheme is the lack of a play action pass. They traditionally do an RPO. Now the way that you can scheme against an RPO is usually you run with the motion unless they, they pull a wide receiver from the other side and then they could fake the run and then they could hit the, the crossing route that's, that's going underneath and then they get a big chunk play from that. Tampa did a really solid job against that RPO last night. And the one thing that really surprised me was they just kept right, they kept running the same RPO. I mean, granted, they would do a, a, some play action pass out of it, but not in the way that Tampa does it. And this, and this is really the dichotomy that I want to hit on here. The way that both teams run the, the play action pass, it, it, don't get me wrong, it's a play action pass, but the way that they're executed is differently. The way that Tampa runs it is very similar to what New England ran for two decades. The reason why that I think that that play action pass works when Brady is under center and they, he gives the fake to the running back is because it pulls the linebackers and the safeties up because they have to account for the threat of the run. With the RPO, it is not the same because they can kind of, the, the defense can kind of shift with the motion where the play is, is going. With the, with the way that, that Brady has that, that play-action pass, they have to account for the run because it's a guy running downhill towards those A and B gaps. So they have to account for that. That's why Brady was so great with the play-action pass last night. That's why he was able to hit up Gronk on that seam route in that third quarter because 
because Tampa had been running the ball pretty well with Fournette and Ronald Jones. They do that one little play action pass. All the, the, the linebackers and the safeties, they come up because they're thinking it's a run and they hit Gronk on a little seam route for 25 yards, almost turned it into a touchdown. It's just, that to me was the difference between like what Tampa's offense was running compared to KC's offense. KC's offense had become predominantly based around Patrick Mahomes, where Tampa was far more well-balanced because they had a great rushing attack with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Those two were outstanding last night. Over 150 yards between the two of them. And then you pair that with what Brady was able to do in the passing game. Yeah, Mike Evans did not have the best game statistically. Chris Godwin's the same thing. But Gronk stepped up. You had Antonio Brown step up. And they utilized the running the running backs out of the backfield in those passing plays. They really Tampa's offense played it very safe last night. They didn't force the ball into any dangerous situations. Brady was playing outstanding last night. He was extremely efficient last night. And Brady's been here before. He knows that if you turn the ball over, it's almost like you're paying a premium for those turnovers just because it's the Super Bowl. And the other team can gain a lot of momentum from that that change of possession, and then you can score points off of that. Brady understands that better than anybody in this game. With Mahomes, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize Mahomes too much last night. He had a he had a bad game. Don't get me wrong, but he was running for his life last night. And Eric Bieniemy's main adjustment flaw last night was not to run Clyde Edwards Hilaire more. That was really to me, the adjustment that they needed to make just to get the pressure off of Mahomes back for a little bit and get Tampa's defense to respect the run game. But they didn't have to. Tampa just ran those four pass rushers all night, and they dropped seven back in coverage. And it was working all night. And Casey yep. never made the adjustment. And um, what you say, um, piggyback, for a net looking like, you know, Fournette from LSU. I think didn't Fournette win the Heisman? If I'm correct, right? That that's what Fournette looked like. Like when he initially did he take win the Heisman? I, I, I don't remember. I don't think I know he was a finalist. I don't think he won it though. I can look it up real quick. Even if if not, he still looked like Fournette from LSU. Like he was getting contact and still running over the second defender. He had like three rows, three plays in a row. Where he like ran the defender slap over. Fournette yep. played amazing. And another unsung hero last night was Cameron Brake. Cameron Brake had a lot of big plays too. And, you know, statistically, Godwin and Mike Evans did not have a great game. And I think that what KC defense was. We're not going to let Mike Evans and Chris Godwin beat us. Okay. We got weapons. Tampa has weapons. Okay, we can use Grunt. Okay, we can use Grunt to block. We can throw our camera break. Oh, y'all want to cover them? We have Antonio Brown. Oh, running bounce out the backfield. You know, so, oh, you want to go deep? We got Scottie Bill and Tyler Johnson. So, the weapons that Tampa had and how, you know, give shout out to Brian Leftwich too, how he put everybody in the game plan, not just, hey, we need you to be, we collectively as an offensive group, put everybody in the game and gave everybody an opportunity to make plays. Great. Great. Yeah, man, the floor is yours. 
I just I'm just trying to think scheme wise, like like I'm just stuck on the fact that they didn't adjust, man. It's like I'm not a Chiefs fan, but like I like I, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a an above average football fan. I mean, just just the, how much I love watching it, how much I love to study. You know, there's even times I've called you, Fred, trying to figure something out on, on a defensive side because I just I just love I just love learning. You know what I'm saying? Like I just love the the tutelage that I get from people that actually played the game. And I don't know, man. I, I don't know if Kansas City is going to be able to bounce back from this just because solely like. First of all, you got a lot of money tied up in Pat Mahomes. You got a lot of money tied in Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey. So, I mean, a lot of this team may not be back next season. I mean, you don't really know. Sammy Watkins restructured his contract, and uh, Le'Veon Bell didn't even play a snap. Kyle, like we said, he was going to be suited, but he probably wasn't going to play. Yep. I mean, there's just there's just a list of players on the defensive side of that. Are they going to be able to resign? I, I, I believe Tyron Matthews' contract's up this season, or he's going to be a free agent next year. Like, what are they going to do there? And – I don't know. The, the the Chiefs got woken up last night, and that was a big ego check. That was a heat check for them because you, you you can't go into a game automatically assuming because you have one of the best players in the league that you can just come back from anything. Because as you all, as you both of you stated, you know that Tom Brady said, "All right, you gonna do this? We are gonna do this? Oh yeah, I gonna cover this finally? We are gonna do this?" Like you have to be aware that it's about adjustments, and Kansas City didn't make any adjustments, and the better team won. It's just. I just predicted a, a better Super Bowl for the, for the betterment of fans across the country. You know what I'm saying? I was actually talking to my dad about it this morning. A lot of Super Bowls that are predicted to be, like, astronomically, like, historical nights don't ever pan out that way. And my biggest example is the Broncos-Seahawks. Uh, we had the greatest offense in league history versus one of the greatest defenses in, what, 2012, 2013, when Peyton just got that over was, there? That was, that was 2013. And it was an absolute abolishment by the Seattle Seahawks. They just completely annihilated the Broncos. And then there's games like unsung heroes, like Kyle, not to bring this up to be a dick, but the the Giants-Patriots Super Bowl, they were like 14-point favorites, which was the highest margin of victory in like Super Bowl history. And that game ended up being a classic. It's just like yeah. I don't know. I, I I just don't know what it is. You know, I'm, you know, you know, what I'm going with this. Like games that are so highly anticipated end up always falling out, and then the games you're just like, eh, I don't really care about it. They end up like, oh wow, this is a really good game. I just I was just looking forward to yeah. such, such such a better game. Yeah, and it's like I, you I, said. Go, go ahead, Brent. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's like the hype around it. Just because you have Tom Brady, and then you have Pat Mahomes, we have the goat. And then you have somebody who could arguably, you know, be the GOAT. So everybody thinking, oh, this game is going to be amazing. And it was, you know, so apart. And then you go to like, um, you know, in the NFC Championship where you had Aaron Rodgers, you know, against like Jared Goff. Or that game was a little better. But the like, game does not live up to the hype. And it's just because I, I guess that's what happens. Two positives is a negative. Like shit, it, it wasn't as exciting as I thought it was gonna be either. Yeah, I think last night was it was it was expectation versus reality. And last night the reality set in Great with point. just with just. But I, obviously, I think everybody wanted to to see you know the fireworks of both teams scoring thirty points. It comes down to the end of the game. You know, who has the quarterback at the end of the game to make the, the game-winning touchdown drive? And 
it just it never unfolded like that. I'll tell you this: when I was sitting down and watching the game, Kevin, you, you were talking about that last night wasn't that exciting of a game to you watching it from home. I'm going to tell you right now, it is not like that at the game. I can tell you that from last night. I was on the edge of my seat for pretty much most of the third quarter because even though the Mahomes and the Chiefs were down, it was the threat of them putting up points. And I'll tell you what, that first drive that they had in the third quarter where they were really pounding it with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they were getting some great plays. And we were thinking, it's like, oh, here we go. Chiefs are going to start mounting this comeback. And it wasn't really until about maybe 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter where I was like, okay, the, the Bucks probably got this. It's just because the Chiefs are just running out of time. And they're just they're not showing me anything that is going to tell me that they're going to come back in this game. But up until that point, Kev, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I Usually I'd be with you on this one, but actually being there, you're on the edge of your seat watching it unfold in front of your eyes. I, it's, it's like, it's an experience. I really can't describe that well because I've never been to a game of that magnitude in my life before, but the pressure and just the tension that you feel in that game, even though the, the Bucks were winning pretty convincingly, you just, you never know what could happen with Mahomes though. I mean, they were down 21 to 10 against the 49ers last year. They scored the next 24 unanswered. They scored 24 unanswered points and went 34 to, was it, was it 34, 24? Yeah. So that was, that was the part that I was really waiting for last night. Obviously it never materialized, but I really think that that's the difference between watching the game at home compared to actually being there, being there, you feel the weight of that game a lot more than you do at home. And the tension is there. It was across the entire stadium. But when the Bucks really started started pulling away, that's where that's where it really started to set in that, you know, the Bucks pretty much got this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um like you said, Kansas could score twenty one points in five minutes. Like yeah. I was watching the game last night and one of my coworkers, shout out to Julio, another Temple fan, he FaceTimed me in the middle of the game and he's like, Bro, we got this. I was like, Chill. Yep. It's not over yet. It's a lot of time. You you can call me back, you know, when there's two minutes left when we are comfortable. Then you can call me back and we can celebrate. But right now, let's chill because, you know, that offense is very explosive. So, Pat Mahomes got time. He'll probably figure it out. But it never happened. They never got that jump start that they were looking for last night. And it goes to that defense one again. So, I, I, I want to have to find something. So I wanted to ask you boys both a question. Obviously, you know, I'm wearing this because I'm supporting my guy. And now I got to ask you, I'll, I'll start with Fred first. Just mm-hmm. what what is your overall impression of just Tom Brady coming into the situation that he did this year and turning it into a Super Bowl championship the first year he arrives in Tampa? Okay. So it might be a little lengthy, but I'm going to try to break it down. So, Coming into this year, when Tom Brady signed, well, when Tom Brady said he was going to come to the bus, he signed it. I was like, yes, we got Tom Brady, but I was also hesitant. Because I was like, this is this not the Tom Brady, you know, three or four years ago. He's older. He's not in New England. Tampa Bay has had a horrible line <laughs> until this year. Like, 
well, until week 13, the line was horrible, you know. And I was like, you know, Brady could put you in um, Super Bowl contention. That's just what he brings to an organization. But is my question was, was our line going to be able to protect him for a full season without him getting hit, without him getting hurt? And, you know, they protected him better than I thought. My for my season record was I said we'll go eleven to five or ten to six, depending on you know some games we should have won but we lost. But you know that's how it goes. I always said that we had to get through the Saints because the Saints have ran the NFC South for the last four or five years, and I said we always had to get through them before we can even think about you know the Super Bowl. And being that, you know, the Saints are a good, to, a good team. They have Tampa Bay's number. They blowed us out both times we played. Both times we played, we didn't even look like we was prepared at all. So to see them change that and then do what they did to the Saints in the NFC East, I think that was the team riding on Tom Brady's confidence. Like, hey, I'm not going to lose to one quarterback three times in one season. That's not it. I've never lost to the same quarterback twice in the same season. That's not me. That's not the Tom Brady way. That's not the winning way. So I was ecstatic when they said we get Tom Brady. I was like, yes, but I also knew we had so many obstacles before I could fully say, hey, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Because the Seattle Seahawks, I was like, we still got to beat Seattle. <laughs> we had to go through Aaron Rodgers. You know, we had to go through, like I said, the Saints. And the Rams. So those were the teams that were on my radar, and we played all of them in the regular season. But Seattle, Seattle was on the team we didn't play. But every quarterback after that, we played them in the regular season, and it's just the confidence that Tom Brady gave this team. Like, Tampa Bay always had the roster to be more than what they were, but we were always a quarterback away. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I love Jamin Winston for the years he was there. For the years he was there, he was a solid quarterback. He hit the 30-plus club, but he was in the 30-30 club. And some of those turnovers in the wrong situation caused Tampa Bay a lot of games when Jamin Winston was there. Like, if you was to say, hey, Tampa have two Pro Bowl receivers with 1,000 yards, and you're thinking in your mind, how in the H-E-Double hockey sticks are they not in the playoffs? You got two people who accumulated a thousand yards, how they're not in the playoffs. Then when you look at it, it's a quarterback play. Winston was always playing like he was still in college. Like I could make this throw. You can't do that in the NFL because linebackers, D linemen, everybody is faster, everybody is smarter. The IQ. So in college, this may be open, but in the NFL and defense, this scheme to where I'm going to make it look like you're open, but, oh, boy, I'm going to pick this off. And that's what happened a lot of times with Winston. He trusted his arm, and he was still in that college play mode. When you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, where he's seen millions of defenses, a million of schemes, he adjusts as the game goes on. The only thing that kills Tom Brady is unless you have a team that has a crazy D-line that pressures him, and we all know Tom Brady doesn't do well with pressure. So – it was just his confidence that he brought to the team. We were all, we was always there. It was just we needed that, you know, that one person to get us over the hill. Yep. 
So me and Fred, when I first started the podcast, he was one of my first guests, if not the first guest. And we went back and forth upon what we think is going to happen right after Tom officially signed with Tampa. And we had both agreed that Tom would go 10 and 6 or 11 and 5. And he would for sure take them to the playoffs. But we both agreed we didn't know if it was going to be a division win or it was going to be a wild card win. But either way, he was going to be a tough out in the postseason. I don't remember exactly, but I know that we said he would for sure win the first two. And we both said he wouldn't go to the Super Bowl first round unless the Saints got knocked out. or so. I forget what we said. But nevertheless, we, we, we knew it was inevitable he was going to bring them a postseason berth. Now, to go about it the way that he did and win the three away games and, you know, knock out the quarterbacks that he did and beat Mahomes in the fashion that he did. Uh, prior to all of that, I mean, the second the rumor was speculated that he was going to come to Tampa, it was just like, oh, shit, Tom's got people to throw to. Oh, shit, they actually have a pretty solid defense. It's like Tom made it to the divisional round or the, the wild card round. Was it the wild card round last year? Yeah, they got bounced out against Tennessee uh, in the first round. Yeah, it was, they lost to Tennessee. Yeah. So I'm sitting here like he carried a terrible team to a postseason berth with a lot less talent. I say, you really going to sit here and, and just add on Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after all pro weapon and then Gronk come out of retirement? It was just, it just seemed like, like I had said earlier tonight, it just seemed like it was kind of a fairy tale written. Like everything happened that needed to happen. Players that needed to step up, step up. And then they just I, – I equivalent Tampa's defense to the 2006 Colts defense because not that they were some of the – not that they had the worst defense, but they didn't play up to par in a lot of situations. But the, when the postseason came in, they just locked in. And, I mean, we had the best defense in the postseason in 06, and we created a lot of turnovers, and people were kind of stipulating, like, wow, this defense kind of turned it around when it mattered the most. And, obviously, we had Peyton Manning at the helm, and the offense did what it needed to do. But it was the point of this team had a good group of guys that rallied together, a great coaching staff, a great head coach, and they just – they had everything needed. And it was like Fred said, they needed that one piece, and the one piece happened to be the six-time NFL Super Bowl champion, Tom fucking Brady. And it panned out, man. They capped it off with a, with a phenomenal victory, an exclamation point. And they looked at Pat Mahomes, and they said, yeah, you got a long way to go, big dog. You're gonna have to win eight now to be in this conversation. And I just I just found it funny, man. It was just as much as I hate Tom and the Patriots, and you know, as much as I give all y'all shit for being Tampa fans and y'all meaning like Fred and Dawson, not you, Kyle, but uh just the point of me being such a hater of LeBron James as Fred knows and you know, a hater of Tom Brady for so <laughs> long to, <laughs> to know that these guys are still winning this late in their career, it just it makes me more appreciative the older that I'm now getting because it's like, damn, these guys are, are doing it at the times in their career where they shouldn't be doing it or they're not expected to, and it's just crazy. We're talking about seven championships. Like, that is that is the closest thing to Bill Russell numbers that we're ever going to get. You know what I'm saying? Like, Robert Orr was like – he tweeted something. He said, welcome to the, the seven championship club. And I was like, shut the hell up, Robert Orr. Yeah. Like, <laughs> winning with, like, three different teams and shit. Like, we're talking about Tom Brady dominating the sport and the position. Like he didn't, he didn't take a step back in his role. He didn't come off the bench. He didn't like have a slump. Like Tom Brady's been playing at stellar capacity since 2007 for the most part, barring his, what was it? The 2008 ACL tear. And then last season where he had like a, a semi okay year, this man's been playing at an MVP level pretty much the entire uh, length of his career. And it's just crazy, man. Like it, it shows 
if you take care of your body and you study the game, you can win at any age. And it's just shout out to Tom, man. You just, just fucking go. I'm going to go big picture here. So I think the one phrase that you guys both that both of you hit on is that Tampa had the players to win. I think Brady was the guy that taught them how to win because like Fred said, Jameis threw 30 interceptions last year. And to be honest with you, that probably cost the Bucks probably two or three wins just by the, by itself. They could have been a playoff team had Jameis cut half of his interceptions last year. And Kevin, this was something that we talked about it was like four. Before, before the season even started. We talked about Brady's probably not going to throw more than 15 interceptions this year. He hasn't done that once in his career. And this year he, he throws 40 regular season touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He throws 10 playoff touchdowns. So the entire year at age 43, he throws for 50 touchdowns. I think, to be honest with you, that probably outpaces Mahomes for his total passing touchdown mark this year. It's, it's just unbelievable that this guy, when people were writing him off last year after the loss to Tennessee, as this guy's washed up, he's just, you know, he just, he, he needs to retire just because he just doesn't have the game. He just doesn't have the sauce anymore. He goes to Tampa, lights it up. They get a Super Bowl out of it. And, and, and here's the thing. Hey, bud. So the one thing that, that I really want to hit on here is Tom Brady wins his seventh championship. And to me now, he's by far the greatest player that has ever played the game of football. Not, not We're not talking quarterback anymore. We're talking about he is the greatest football player in NFL history. I think last night pretty much sealed it for me. He's the first player to win in three separate decades. He won in 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s now. He is now he has more Super Bowl titles than every other franchise in the NFL. And I think last night, and, I, and Kevin, I know I mentioned this in one of the, the, the what-if videos had Brady won his seventh Super Bowl title, that he arguably becomes the greatest team sports player in North American sports history. And I think after last night, he is worthy of that discussion. And you can make a very valid case now that he is the greatest team sports player that we've ever seen so far. He, he is up in that category of Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and Babe Ruth. It's, it's undeniable now at this point to take a team like Tampa, who record-wise has the worst record in NFL history. They have the second worst record in professional sports history. They're just ahead of the Charlotte Hornets, I believe, or like the Charlotte Bobcats. And he takes that team from last year in his first year, gets them to a Super Bowl, and does it fairly convincingly. Obviously, I know the defense played a huge factor last night, but without Brady, man, they are not in that situation last night. It's, it's not unbelievable at, at this point because – and Nick Wright even hit on one of these points today. You could break down Brady's career not into two separate careers – and call them Hall of Fame careers. Now you can break it down into three separate category, three separate splits. His first, first one, he wins three Super Bowl titles. 
in the second one in the second part of his career, he's a he's a huge statistical leader at the quarterback position. And then now, in the last seven years that he's been playing, he's been to five Super Bowls. He's won four of them. He has three Super Bowl MVPs, and is playing up to a level where guys that were in the primes of their careers can't even match what he's doing statistically. Like I said, he had 50 total touchdowns this year as far as passing goes at 43. And he has shown no regression whatsoever. Actually, if you really compare it to last year, he's probably gone up another tier or two just with the way that things worked out in New England last year. He is just on a level in in NFL history that nobody will ever reach. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't think anybody across any sport, any team sport, I should say, is ever going to reach that we'll ever see again. Kev, we said this before. We'll never see anything like this again. Never. Ever. This is never going to happen again. And to be honest with you, they have just as good a shot to win it again next year. And, it, it, and to me, um, if, if they win next year, I'm just saying, or, or if he wins one more, you know, we have to really start talking about, is he the greatest team sports player ever if he wins another one? I mean, you're talking about potentially eight Super Bowl titles, eight in a sport where it's one of the most toughest championships to actually get because if you have one bad performance in the playoffs, you're out. And to get eight in a span of possibly 25 years, it's unbelievable. If something like that were to happen, you know, where he wins another one before he retires, you got to start talking about it. Is he the greatest team sports player ever across all of the sports? I'm not, I'm not talking just in North America. I'm talking around the world. The, the level of success that he has had is just unmatched in North America and to probably a certain extent in the world. Um, I agree. Well, honestly, I don't even have to say he has to win it next year because, like you said, he went to a team where they have the worst winning percentage in team sports history, 79 last year, and they took them to the Super Bowl. Nobody knew the unknown, and Tom Brady said, this is where I'm going to take my talents to. And for him winning this title, to me, he is the greatest winner of any team sport. You know, because no, no, not to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan stayed in Chicago. They brought everything to Jordan. They brought you know, they drafted Pippen. You know, they went and got Dennis Rodman, Tony on Cool Coach, Charles Oakley, whoever. They brought them there. So Jordan Whitley. Tom Brady said, I'm going to leave the best coach in Bill Belichick. I'm going to leave this organization in the Patriots, and I'm going to go down to Florida. I'm going to go to Tampa and turn that franchise around. And that's what he did in one season. And not even a whole season because, like I said earlier, they didn't have OTAs. So it was literally, hey, we're going to meet up at the field like we're playing flag football and we're going to go through some stuff. I'm going to try to get chemistry with y'all like that. But outside of that, they literally was learning each other as the season go on. And to piggyback off what you said next year, do Tampa have the talent to repeat next year? Next year, I'm sorry. We do. But contracts. 
you know, um, I don't know what's going to happen with Shaq Barrett. He probably just played him way into a huge contract. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin may leave. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette may leave. Um, you know, one Grab Casco only signed a one-year deal. Does he retire? Does he come back? Um, what's going to happen with um, Levante David? Levante David is a free agent. So we have a lot of key pieces from last night that may be gone next year. You know, we could probably get Sue on another one-year, maybe five-year deal. Um, I think we signed JPP to two years, so we may have him for another year. Um, Vita Bay is still on the contract. But everybody else, um, the players I named earlier, yeah, they are all free agents. Our secondary is young because we drafted all those guys. Carlton Davis may be the only one who may be coming up on the contract negotiation. But outside of that, it'll be hard for them to repeat if we lose, like, some key players. Offense, not worried too much because Chris Godwin, don't get me wrong, I love Chris Godwin. But if Chris Godwin wants to leave, we can still get, um, you know, A.B. on the discount because nobody really wants Antonio Brown. So we can get A.B. on the discount. We still have Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson who's becoming their own, who we can throw in the offense to help, you know, pick up some of the slack that we're going to lose in Chris Godwin. So it just depends on, you know, how Tampa, you know, approaches certain things. But I've seen something today where Mike Evans said, hey, let's rework, let's renegotiate my contract. I would take less money, give it to the other players. i take less money so we can have our team come back next year. And that's why Mike Evans is my one of my top five favorite Tampa Bay players of all time because he's so selfishness. He's so selfless. Like, I just won the Super Bowl. I know I'm worth my money, and I know I could, when it was time, somebody would pay me. But I wouldn't take a pay cut to keep, keep this team together so we could try to run it back. Got to love it, man. Got to love it. Okay, on that. Kev? That's very Dirk-esque of Mike Evans, you know, one of the – the, the athletes of the decade to go out there and just be like, you know what? Like, like Fred said, I just want to ring. I'm one of the best receivers in the game, but let's, let's work my contract so we could, we could get another one. Cause it's like, everybody knows when you get a taste of women winning, you want to keep on winning. And he, and, and Mike knows that Brady window is very, very close to closing, whether that's in the next two or three years, we don't know how he's going to come back. God forbid injuries. You know what I'm saying? We don't know if the, the Tampa Bay organization is going to be able to bring back everybody. So Mike knows, Yo, the next two years are so crucial to my career. I could get another two rings. So, fuck yeah, I'm 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 definitely down to take a pay cut. But I just I I really don't know how Tampa's gonna be able to afford those people, man. We're talking about Brady's on a twenty-five million dollar nugget by himself. Mike Evans is gonna restructure that. Take a pay cut. A, you think Brady's gonna restructure? He's been restructuring his whole career. I don't think he's gonna want to restructure. He's been and he's been winning and doing that too. <laughs> He has hey, it's like, his wife has yeah, money. Yeah, we all know Giselle got the bread in that family. But, you know, um, there are a lot of young, talented players on that team that may seek out money. Uh, you know how it goes, especially in this generation. They taste the Super Bowl, and they're like, yo, I got the chip. I'm going to get my bread. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, it's crazy how to yeah. use nowadays kind of think that, that that one and done, almost like in college, like, I got my championship. Now I just want to get bread. Like, why not? 
go and get another one. Like you could be a part of history. You could go for now a back to back. The Super Bowl endorsements that you're gonna get, the, the 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 incentives that you get throughout the season, like you can make that money in so many other places. But instead, like players that be like, y'all must sign a five year max deal with like the Jets, like C.J. Mosley. Like when he left Baltimore after going to the playoffs for like three, four straight years, he signed a super, he signed a max deal to go to the Jets. Like, what do you, why? What Le'Veon Bell held out? What, why? It, what did it do for you but ruin your career? It just yeah, money talk, but then the bullshit walk because now the rest of your career is a laughing stock. So yeah, you pay for now, you're you're selling, you're selling their stuff. Exactly, bro. It's it's, it's a um, joke. My dad always raised me. As like you know, as a sports fan, if you win, keep fucking winning. Winning is so hard. Like you can make money anywhere as an athlete. Like literally anywhere. More signing events, uh, contracts, uh, what is it? Endorsement deals. Like the, the list is endless. Championships are so hard. And if Tom Brady has shown anything in his twenty-one year career, is that it doesn't happen every year. But when it does, it's amazing. Why forego that? For bread, like I get it, you gotta take care of your family and whatnot. Go get your big deal, but dude, if you stay and you win, and you guys keep winning, you're gonna get paid more. You're, you're gonna get money. It's just I don't know, man. To me, it just doesn't make sense. If I'm on a championship team and we have the potential to go back to back or back to back to back, I'm staying, bro. Fuck money. I want I want to keep winning, bro. Yeah, like for me, I mean, I'm an average Joe. I'm not rich by any means. But what you said was winning is so hard, right? And the athletes these days, two contracts, like, it's all about money at the end of the day because, you know, I'm giving y'all entertainment, putting my health at risk. So, like you said, get your bread. But if you look at it, two contracts, depending on the athlete, they're making over $20 million. The only way you blow through $20 million in a lifetime is, A, you're taking care of a lot of people and you're just blowing your money on stupid stuff. Or B, is you're really doing good with your money. So you're putting your money into, you know, cancer research or you've been in hospitals, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that where you can blow money. But give me two contracts and I done made $30 million. I'm straight. My kids' kids not even going to spend all that money, you know? So if I could keep a group together to continue to win, that's what I'll do. But, I mean, that's just coming from an average broke guy, so. Well, <laughs> and, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. The, the way that I kind of see this, you kind of have to look at this. I try to, like, look at it from their perspective. So, like, let's say that you're playing off your rookie contract. You know, if, <laughs> if you're uh, – and not a, and not a first-rounder because – the majority of the players that are drafted are not first round draft picks. So they're not, they're not making a top contract on their rookie contract. And if they play and exceed their expectations to where they get a max contract when they re-up for their second deal in the second, in the, their second contract in their career, guarantee you that they, they need to get compensated for it because I'll tell you this by and large, that contract, if they are one of the top players in the NFL, that contract is going to set them up and their family for the rest of their lives, by and large. There are very few exceptions where you get into the stage of your career where you get a third contract 
and it's just as good as what you got with the second one if you maxed out on your second contract. Those are your Hall of Fame type players. That's like, I'll give I'll give you an example. Darrell Rivas, perfect example. Gets a second, gets a massive contract with the Jets, and then once that contract starts running out, I think he ends up going to Tampa for a year or two. His value diminishes. Yeah, we ran up for two years. Yeah, his value diminishes in Tampa. He goes to New England on a one-year deal. He plays out of his mind, or at least the Patriots' defensive scheme helped him out a little bit. But despite that, he wins a Super Bowl championship with the Patriots that year and then gets a huge max contract again from the Jets and finishes finishes his career out there. My point being with Darrell Rebus is he got – that second max contract. And that was, that ended up being his last one. That's the contract that's going to set them up for retirement and the rest of their lives. And their hopefully their, their kids lives. You kind of have to look at it from a money perspective. If you get to the point in your career where money is no longer an issue, like Tom Brady, because he's always known to restructure his contract to help out other parts of the team. It's very rare for somebody to do that. Because by and large, most of those guys, when they get an opportunity where they can max out their contracts, you're going to turn that down. You're going to turn out. You're going to turn down the the potential to set up your family for the rest of your life and your kids' family for their lives. I mean, don't get me wrong. Winning is great. I get that. But man, it's it's the opportunity of a lifetime to accept the deal. Where, like, if you bring up Shaq Barrett, for example, there's a very real possibility that he can be making $20 million a year at the, the position that, that he's playing at compared to what he could make with the Bucks if he resigns with the Bucks long term. The Bucks may only give him, you know, a 10 to $12 million a year deal annually, where if he goes to some other team, they may be willing to pay him another $8 million a year. I mean, $8 million, that's a, that's a big difference so, from – I'm just saying, like – No, no, no. I, 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 get the, I get the idea of winning. I do. And I, I wish more players would, would focus more on winning than the money aspect. But I'm telling you, that money aspect is crucial. I'm not. I'm not denying it, right? I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not saying that there are players that don't need it, or families that don't need it, or, or your players that don't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? My thing is right. It's the players that nitpick between that five to ten million dollar range a year, where it's like, all right, I might not be able to give you the amount you want, but if you come back, we can win. And between that, you can make that difference up yearly or at least come close to it where it becomes a, a smaller margin of a difference. Like between the incentives and the bonuses and, the, and, and all the endorsement money that people make, you realize that that gap does close. And instead of $5 million, it becomes $2.5 million. Or instead of $10 million, it becomes like $4 million because of the amount of stuff that they can get accumulated throughout the year. AB just got... $850,000 for winning the Super Bowl, and he had a half-a-year contract. Imagine what Tom Brady got as an incentive for a Super Bowl. Imagine what fucking Leonard Fournette got as an incentive for a Super Bowl. Like, the big players. Like, Shaq Barrett definitely, as we, since we're talking about him, we all know he's going to get top pass rusher money. We all know he's going to get a phenomenal contract offer from a lot of teams. 
the Lions, you know, like all the teams that have cap space money, the Jets, the Jags, like they're going to make pushes at him. But at what cost? You are 130% going to be doubled on these trash teams. You're more than likely going to have to exert 10 times more energy and effort because you're going to be the only person they're blocking. And God forbid an injury happens, you're stuck on a losing team. You are well past your prime. And then what happens? Because, Kev, sometimes with them, it is not based. The, their view of their job is not based on winning a Super Bowl. Granted, it's a dream. It, it, it's the ultimate goal. But there may be a certain point where, look, if I'm going to get a max contract and that opportunity is there for me, do you take that or Super Bowl? I, I'm not I – wish, I wish everybody by and large thought the Super Bowl is the main objective – and that we're going to do everything that we can to make that happen. But guess what? There, are, there is a large proportion of players in the NFL. When they get that contract, man, they play for the check. You can't tell me that they don't. hundred percent, bro. But yep. my thing is, um, when, they, when they get to their 30s very true. and they bitch and they complain, I want a championship. I want to do this. Bro, you, you sacrificed 15 years for the bag. Now go retire with the bag because you ain't going to get it. Look at J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt went and chased the bag, and he got a $100 million contract from Houston, and now he's like, I feel like my career is wasted. I feel like I never had a chance to compete for a title. I feel like this organization screwed me. You cha- you could have left Houston years ago, and now you're complaining at 34 that you ain't get a championship. That's my problem with these athletes nowadays. Bag, bag, bag. And then I got to get a sob story for the last three years of your career. It was wasted or I never got to compete or I felt like I was robbed of the opportunity to play in a championship contender. Shut the fuck up. You made your choice to get your bag and your family secured. Congratulations. You ain't going to get a ring. No one's going to sign you for money on a championship team. That's these players' problems. They don't know how to differentiate between do I chase the bag and deal with the fact that I may never win one or do I try to win early enough to where I can accumulate enough winning of a culture and then chase, and then get lucky enough to get some some money throughout the integrity of the rest of my career? I'm just talking about the young people on this Tampa team. They know that this window is literally paper, paper, paper thin. And if Shaq is smart, he takes a short two-year deal, takes some good money. And if he wants to get a max later in his late 20s, then go get it. There's a, There's very few players in sports that have an opportunity to win with great players, like players on the Lakers right now, like players on the Colts back in the day, players that had a a potential to create a dynasty that leave and then never come close to that, that, that taste ever again. And all you hear about in those 30 for thirties or those, or those later documentaries of an athlete's career or football life of whatever the fuck I regret leaving or this, that, and the third or leaving was the worst decision I've ever made in my life. It's, it's, you got to make the choice and what you make is you got to stick with it. I just, I've heard too many athletes complain in all sports about not winning championships, but they had opportunities to get it when they were younger. I'm just saying. Right, go ahead. And to piggyback off of um, what both of y'all said, to kind of switch sports real quick, to, to recap just that I'm chasing the bag. Carmelo Anthony, in his whole career, really never cared about winning the championship. Carmelo was all about money. When he was in Denver, money. When he was in New York, instead of taking a pay cut, 
bringing in some help, he wanted max contracts. And when he got to past his peak and he started to decline, nobody gave him a chance. Then, you know, he got his second and third chance with um, Portland. And, you know, it turned around. So now he's in the back half of his career trying to rejuvenate what he was years ago, trying to help this team win. And another player like that is, um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, Osmoa, Nadi Osmoa. Yep, Nadi, absolutely. He was one of the best corners in Oakland. Yep. But what made Osmoa so good in Oakland was he was a scheme corner. Because when he got that big contract in Oakland, he left there. I want to say, I think he went to either Philly. He went to Philly. Or San Fran. Philly. Philly. And that scheme did not fit Osawa. So it's like, oh man, I just wasted $80 million on this player and it's not panning out because the scheme he was in and the team he was in made him look better than what he was. To go like what Kevin said, if Shaq Barrett was to leave, and I'm a Bucks fan, so I want him to stay, but if Shaq Barrett was to leave and to go to a team like, um, I don't know, just say Detroit, who really has no pass rush, who really has nothing. You're going to get double team all day. And that money they're paying you, they're going to look at it as it's worthless because what you did in Tampa, you're not doing here with the sacks because you're getting double team because we forgot to ask somebody else who will help you out. Compared to with Tampa, you have three other people you got to worry about on the line outside of Shaq there. So, is it about money for some players? 100%. But is it about winning championships and ring for other players? 150%. Yeah, and basically just like if I'm going to really over, oversimplify what the point that I'm trying to make is, is that each player's motivation for their career is different. Some of it yeah. is based on – some players are based on winning. Some are based on getting as much money as possible as they can in their career. And – Listen, I get it. I do. But that's really the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is that every, every person, even on the same team, their motivation for their career is entirely different than some of the other players on their own team and across the league. That's just how I see it. No, I, I agree. Yeah. And like Fred said, you know, we, we all see the point that we're all trying to make. You know, like nobody's sitting here shitting on the other person's opinion. It's just – we all we all see it differently, you know. If we were all put in that predicament, I'm pretty sure we would all chase the bag too, because we don't we don't live at, at on those means, you know. We don't have money like that. But at the same time, <clears throat> if I'm talking about myself, if I'm getting a couple million dollars, like I don't know, like a two year, four or five million dollar deal, coming from where I come from, I'm good because I'm gonna invest. I'm gonna clear my debt. You know what I'm saying? If I win, I get some incentives. I'm you see, I'm straight. You feel me? Like the Puerto Ricans that I gotta take care of. Are gonna be happy with four million dollars. Like I'm kind of worried about blowing my money on stupid shit. It's just I would like to get that four million dollars, and I'd like to show something for it. you. Know what I'm saying? If I could get a ring out of it, I'd be hyped as shit. But Kev, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta at least think of the possibility of leeches going after you. You can't tell me that there won't be people hitting up your line, talking about, you know, possibly getting money from you because they know that you're getting that type of money. 
just saying. Man, if you don't change that, you know me. I got no problem telling someone to shut the fuck up and get up off my line. I got saying. no problems, man. Some leads come out of left field, some ex-girlfriend come out of nowhere. I'm like, yo, go kick rocks. I ain't talked to you in no 10 years because I got a bag. You won't come talk to me. Bro, don't play. Fred's the same way. I know, but bro, someone hit you like, I'm like, bitch, who are you? Not only that, you got to deal with your own ego, too. You make enough money, you start building up, building an ego. I mean, look at Antonio Brown before the obviously he won Love. with the Steelers. You know, hit he was making probably fifteen, twenty million dollars a year. Look at the look at the ego that he had before it all went to hell. I mean, that's, that's another thing that you have to consider. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Fred, what you think, man? Do you think you think you think the money really got to him that bad and he snapped? Or you think that that's like a, a bad support system around him? Fred. I mean, me, I'm about winning. I'm about winning. So if my my thought process is a couple of million is better than no million at all. That's just how I'm looking at it. So if I'm making eight, nine million a year and I'm still winning, I'm in contention every year, I'm good with that because I always have that shot of going. You know, so I, I may leave eight or nine million on the table, but if I'm making nine million, that's better than making none. And I have a chance to go to the Super Bowl or something like that. That's how I am because I'm about winners. And not saying rings solidify your legacy, but it damn sure help a lot. That's true. That's true. You I know, can't like, play, man. And, can't argue against that. In football, you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, right? Never won the Super Bowl. Dan Marino never won the Super Bowl, but he holds so many records. Is it money that he kept getting money? Don't know. Did the team then put players around him? Don't know. But he's a person never won, you know, a Super Bowl. That's true. That's true. Have you got any any other points? No, man. Honestly, I just that's that's pretty much my piece, man. I've had, I don't know why I feel like that was something built in because I just I've I've seen so many different reports of so many athletes doing that, and then hearing what JJ Watt said this year, I just was like I I kind of looked at it sideways, like didn't you have a chance to leave like four years ago, like after you had won like your second defensive player of the year award, and you chose to stay with an absolute dumpster fire of an organization, you know, I'm, I'm going to just sit back and, you know, sip my tea because now you're sitting here bitching about a chip. But, yeah, but that's, that's everything I got to say, man. Uh, it was a disappointing Super Bowl, but at the same time, it was a historical event to watch. So I am happy that I got to witness it somewhat. And I know you're beyond ecstatic. You got to physically witness it. And I know Fred's happy that little Fred got to witness the Super Bowl championship for his life. Even though he so wore, he, proud. he wore Dolphins gear. Him and his mother wear Dolphins gear. During the game, that's disrespectful. <laughs> Sonia need to reevaluate that one. Exactly, that's why. She a real one for that one, though. She she a real one for that one. She she kept it to she kept it G. She kept it to a team. So I ain't mad at her because I already did the same damn thing. So I'm not mad at her at all for it. Yeah, but we know Sonia be wishy washy when it comes to college football. One moment it's Miami and then it's Gator football, and so it's like it's like it's, what what she gonna choose? <laughs> oh, he called you out on that one, bitch. <laughs> just how you wish you college football is Miami Hurricanes as another team. Nah, she converted, bro. She put it on the um, license plate. It's, it's oh, damn. Sonya gonna leave mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Gators, that's dead over there. That's been dead by three years, bro. That's over. We coming. Don't worry about it. We going to be there. <laughs> another episode for another day. Exactly. Yes, sir. But that, I think, uh, yeah. is there uh, any final thoughts you guys want to hit on before uh, we end up and wrapping this up? Nope. Like I said today, ain't no Monday like Victory Monday. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Kev, you got anything else? <laughs> no, man. I, I want to give hey, a quick Kev, shout out to Fred. Chance, you can send out a video. Send out a video? If man? you get a chance, you can send out a video the song I made today. Oh, yeah. I'm going to send it to him. I got you. All right, Beth. Yeah, if you get a chance. No, I'm going to definitely send it out. But I wanted to give a, a quick shout-out to you, Big Fred, for coming on to the show and, uh, you know, giving Thank us your feedback. You, big, 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 big kudos to you, bro. Thank you, no, man. Bro. Hey, it's a pleasure. Honored to be on the collab, you know, podcast. Definitely, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And I know, I know Kev already said it, but I got to say it from my end, too. Fred, I appreciate you having you on. Love the insight, man. I'm glad that we were able to get a Bucks fan on and actually – you know, talk about, you know, what winning a Super Bowl for the first time in almost two decades feels like. Yeah. I, I imagine it's it's got to be a great feeling. It's, it's been a long time coming. I wish it would have been the only city in sports history to have all three major teams win, but we fell short with one. So we were close. We were close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, Kev, you know what's up. You know what's no. up. No. <laughs> The Rays, listen. Baby. You know what's up. <laughs> listen to me. We're not going to talk about baseball right now because this going to turn into a four-hour fucking podcast. <laughs> I, I'm going to say less. I'm going to say less. All right, but that'll pretty much wrap it up from here, you guys. I want to appreciate you guys tuning in and watching the video between all of us, between me, Kevin, Fred. Obviously, this will be on the Homefield Podcast YouTube page, probably loaded up. So you guys will probably be watching this on Tuesday. Kev, I know you're pretty much going to throw this up on, on your podcast with the 104.6 and 1, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, just to keep touching on it, like me and Kyle do every week, we are working towards making the official partnership official. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we get that official – I keep saying official. I don't know why I can't think of any other word. Um, we are trying to make sure that we get all the right content to you guys at all the right times, and we just want to make sure that everything is perfect before we make the official move to making this uh, a unified podcast. But just trust me, it's coming. We just ask you to be patient. These collabs are going to keep on coming, especially with guests like Fred and many others in the, in the near future. But just just be patient. We got it coming, and we, and we can't wait. Sure, man. Fred, you got any plugs to throw out there before we take hey, off? Nah. Like I, like I said, hey, thank you once again for having me on your show. Greatly appreciate it. Definitely a humble experience. Go Bucks, man. Run it back. Let's go. Yes, sir. With that, that'll wrap up the episode, you guys. So appreciate you guys tuning in. And uh, we'll see you guys later. All right, man. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. 
Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid.